June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. September 30th probably doesn't hold a lot of meaning for most of you. If it happens to be your birthday, then I apologize for not remembering. But in the airline business, it could be a very dark day. That's the day the provisions of the Federal CARES Act, that's the bill that bailed the airlines out for billions of dollars, that's the bill that required them to keep everybody employed and to fly their planes in all their existing routes, that's the day it expires. And the airlines cannot financially survive on 30% load factors. So on October 1st, they've already notified thousands of their employees, and I mean thousands, that they're going to lose their jobs, pilots, maintenance folks, gate agents, customer service reps, and flight attendants. Sarah Nelson, the president of the Flight Attendants Union, joins me to discuss the possible implosion in the workforce and all the cities that could no longer have air service as of September 30th. Then, my chat with travel industry legend, hotelier Jerry Anzarillo, calling in from Riyadh in Saudi Arabia with his take on the current state of global travel. And Jerry knows his stuff. He opened Sun City in Africa, Atlantis in the Bahamas, and he's now part of one of the largest travel and historical restorations in the world. First up, Sarah Nelson. Uh, joining us now, an old buddy of mine who we, I, I don't know who flies more or who, or who has flown longer, but right now she's, she's more or less flying a desk, but a very important desk as the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, Sarah Nelson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peter. Always good to be with you. Sarah, we live in uh, bizarre, extraordinary, and ridiculous times, um, and of course, the, the people that you represent are particularly vulnerable these days. Uh, there's not a, uh, a time that comes by uh, uh, on my email that I'm not seeing another alert from another airline saying, you know, we're about to furlough more people. We're about to become smaller. 
we're about to cut routes, uh, we're about to park planes. And at this point, they're not just about to do it, they've done it. And you're seeing this across the board, aren't you? Yes, this is across the entire industry. And, you know, really the industry fell off a cliff in March uh, when coronavirus hit, uh, fell 97% in demand. We were just at 3% demand in, in March. And if we had not gotten the relief from Congress in March, many of the airlines would be just completely out of business right now. And our communities would be cut off and uh, 2 million people could be out of work. Instead, we did get this relief, but it only was in place through the end of September. And as you know, it takes longer than a couple days to plan for a flight. So they've got to plan their scheduling with all of their personnel and the flights that they're going to be running in October right now. In fact, we're past some of the deadlines right now. And that's why you're seeing seeing the furlough notices, and that's why you're seeing the notices about cutting the flights, because we don't have that extended funding after October 1st. Right. And October 1st may be a very dark day in the uh, in the travel industry because it's not just flight attendants, it's pilots, it's gate agents, it's mechanics, it's customer service reps. Uh, it's all across the board. I mean, United sent out notices about eight weeks ago to 36,000 employees saying they could be furloughed. Delta sent out uh, similar notices. American has already announced earlier this week close to 19,000 furloughs. And that doesn't count uh, many of your colleagues who, who took an early retirement or an early out package, right? Well, let's be clear. What American said was that they had 40,000 people who one way or another are off the job compared with March. And that means that some people have made that painful decision to retire early or to ter- take an early out and try to do something else. Or they've taken a voluntary leave that's not really all that voluntary. It's that they were they could cut some corners and try to get by so that they could save someone else's job. The the reality is that those 40,000 people would be working full-time at American Airlines if it were not for coronavirus and then just multiply that out across all of the other airlines and we're talking about really extreme hurt. What we're also talking about though is the people who are staying are working in a very different environment. So if you have 20 years seniority, you're on the furlough list right now. And or you're just on the cusp of it. And at 20 years seniority, you can actually plan your life a little bit better. So pilots and flight attendants in the airline industry, it's very expensive to live in those hubs, Chicago, New York, Dallas. And so a lot of people choose to live in secondary cities that they can commute to as an airline employee and actually have a middle class life there. And so those people now have to be close to the airport because now they're back on what we call reserve, which means they got to stay by their phone and wait for those assignments. So you're talking about a major change for all of these people who are even still on the job. There's a real ripple effect, and people are having to make some really hard decisions right now about what they're doing financially, selling homes, getting out of their apartments, selling their cars, um, trying to move in with family members. And that's happening across the board. And that has a ripple effect across our entire economy because people are spending less into it. And when you talk about connectivity, if Americans already announced 15 cities that are being dropped from its root network as of October 7th, you know, that's New Haven, that's uh, Moline, Illinois, that's Roswell, New Mexico. If you work for the airline and you're commuting from those cities, now you can't even catch a flight to get to your to your base. That's right. And and so that's the airline employees directly. But think about those communities that count on that service. The vast majority of U.S. mail, for example, uh, flies around the country as belly mail, they call it, in these passenger flights. So when you're cutting off 
service to those communities completely. You're talking about cutting off that mail service. You're talking about cutting off the ability to get airmail medicines to people that people are counting on or other other packages that require to be flown in airmail because they have to get there quickly, otherwise it's going to go bad. So those communities now are cut off from getting goods and services out of their communities and selling that or getting goods and services in. And in the middle of a pandemic, when people are supposed to be saying staying safe at home, that has a real drastic effect on our ability to even fight this virus and keep people safe. And let us not forget, I'll give, I'll, I'll make myself feel old here, but for those of us old enough to remember, airlines in this country got their, got their start doing what? Flying the U.S. mail. That's right. That's That's right. And so this is directly connected to the mail and um, directly connected to our democracy as well. But let's also recognize that right now we're talking about domestic service and we're talking about domestically being cut off. No one's talking about the fact that anyone who has a U.S. passport, that passport's no good. You're not even allowed to go to Mexico or Canada right now, let alone overseas. And that is going to have a dramatic impact on us as well. International flying is way down. American travelers cannot travel to these other countries. And the crews who are traveling there are having to quarantine in the hotels. They're not having the same kind of lifestyle they used to have, even those who are still flying the few flights that are going. Um, But we are really cut off from the rest of the world. And, And the fact is, Peter, that in March, when we passed that relief package, Um, that kept the airline industry afloat and kept people connected to their jobs. Everyone thought that by October we'd be, we'd have in our sights recovery. And that's just not true. We're still right in the middle of this crisis. So I just want to remind everyone what we got in March because it was not a bailout for the airline industry. It was actually a relief package that was turned on its head for the first time. And it said that any money that was coming from the federal government had to go directly to paying people's paychecks, their benefits, and that there had to be a cap on executive compensation, a ban on stock buybacks and dividends. So it's not the kind of relief package we're used to. And it has kept the airlines intact, kept them from laying off people who are credentialed employees so that when we get this virus under control, we're not trying to hire people back and slow to recover our economy. And it has kept people in their jobs been the best use of public money because those airline employees have stayed where they need to be providing that essential service to our nation during the pandemic and spending back into the economy, keeping people in their homes, not defaulting on mortgages or rent payments and the like. And that has been really successful and really important for our whole country. However, September 30th is coming right around the corner and there's an argument. I'll be devil's advocate here for a second. As well-intentioned as the CARES Act was, and keeping everybody on, on staff and employed and paid, the airlines were still flying essentially a lot of empty airplanes, which are under normal circumstances not financially sustainable. If you take a look at, you know, and during a time, by the way, Sarah, you and I both know this, you know, June, July, and August, that's, that's a high travel period. Now we're coming into the fourth quarter, which is traditionally not a high travel period. And if you look at the forward bookings that the airlines have, it's not a rosy picture. So, it's like looking like you're about to fall off the cliff again. What is there a solution here? There is a solution. So uh, what we are asking for is a clean extension of the payroll support program, and that would take us through March 31st. That would bridge us to the better uh, travel season uh, as well, starting in April and going into May and June. And um, it also gets us six months closer to a vaccine. Uh, and in the meantime, it keeps those airlines intact 
keeps that service to all of our communities while we're fighting the virus, which is so critically important, and keeps tens of thousands of people employed instead of adding to the unemployment rolls. We know that crisis and we know the pain of 9-11. We know that we started building back the day after. We also know that overnight we lost almost 20% of our ranks, and that was really hard to recover from. But people had a place to go. They went to work in, um, in retail, in restaurants. They worked at Home Depot. They worked in all these other places where there are not jobs today. Sitting here currently in the country for every one job that's available, five Americans are looking for it. And as we're expecting a a landslide of additional unemployment, that's only going to get worse this fall. One in three people are three months behind on their mortgage or rent payments. So we're looking at a a crisis that is uh, multiple times uh, the impact of 9-11, and we're not even through it yet. That's why we've got to have this relief. So we've got to have the extension of the payroll support program for the aviation industry through March 31st. We've also got to have Congress act so that we can continue that $600 plus up and an extension of unemployment benefits. Because what we know from that is that people were spending back 73 cents on every dollar of that back into the economy because it's going to people who have to spend that to pay their bills. And that is propping up another 5 million jobs. We have state and local funding where we need to keep public transportation moving and rural hospitals open and schools that are safe with enough teachers to teach our kids. That's another 5.3 million jobs that we're going to lose if we don't get this relief funding in place. So it's a snowball effect, and it creates a situation where the economy can't recover. But take it back to the airline industry. You know, if we start to lay off these credentialed employees who are pilots and flight attendants and mechanics and ramp service and and customer service agents. What we are going to have to do is retrain them when we bring them back. And that can take months and years to recover. And the fact is that we have enjoyed incredible freedom in the United States because we've been able to fly to every corner of the earth when some people can only dream of crossing borders. And in some ways that has been because we have we birthed aviation right here in this country. And we have been the leader in aviation around the world ever since its birth. And if we do not prop up our airline industry, we will not be able to compete with the rest of the world. And we will really be cut off from that connectivity and all that the airline industry supports in the rest of the industries that count on us. So that's really what's at risk here and why we need to keep things in place right now so that we can get to a place where it's easier to recover once we're closer to that vaccine, once we have a better control of this. But the other thing I would tell you, Peter, that's really the difference between now and 9-11 is what I think about that day on 9-11. And I think about my friends, because I was very close with all the people on Flight 175, flight, United Airlines flight that left from Boston and ended up at the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And they did not know what they were facing that day, but they got some of the first intelligence to our country about a war that we didn't know we were fighting. And within an hour's time, that information got to United Flight 93, And those people on that plane, they're black Americans, white Americans, Asian Americans, a gay rugby player fighting for marriage equality, a pregnant woman. And yes, Democrats, Republicans and independents were just Americans in a moment's notice. And they fought like hell together to save their own lives, but they definitely fought to save the rest of ours. That flight was headed for the Capitol. And every year my union goes and lays a wreath at the 93 Memorial inside the Capitol. And I think about that. And I think about the job 
that my crew members did and that fellow Americans did on that day to save our country. And that is the kind of spirit of solidarity that we experienced during 9-11 that we're not experiencing today. And that's why we're calling on Congress to do their job, act like Americans, and actually finish the job for Americans. Well, then that brings up the question, you know, you mentioned relief through March. History does indicate that every major airline failure, with maybe one exception, happened between December and March because they just couldn't survive economically. Uh, the you know the, the 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 just the hit in the fourth and first quarter. So I get that. But what kind of support are you getting from Congress right now? Well, we are getting that support of payroll support to keep us in our jobs. And if there's an extension, that would continue through March, which would get us through that difficult time. But one thing I want us to remember is that after 9-11, as you noted, every single, almost every single airline went through bankruptcy. Most of those happened between 2002 and 2006, but American Airlines did not have their bankruptcy until 2010. In any case, every single airline restructured and cut labor costs. So aviation workers have seen this before. We've seen our pensions go out the door. We've seen our pay cut by 30 and 40 percent. We've seen our work roles change. And um, we we know that labor costs have been cut way back. So the problem here is definitely not labor costs. There's no cost that you can cut out any further. The problem is demand. And the demand is a problem because of coronavirus and because we have not gotten our hands around it as as a country, like other countries have, to get it contained and allow people to start to reopen the economy again. And for that reason, even more so, the government really needs to take action here because we could actually work for free as flight attendants and we would not solve the problem in the airline industry today. Sarah, let me give you a devil's advocate question again, because, you know, it took Congress a while to come back from vacation again. Obviously, the House of Representatives doesn't necessarily align with the Senate. You are. I'm assuming you're getting some bipartisan support in both houses. What's the deadline here? Well, the deadline really is now. It's today. It's as soon as possible. Um, the furlough notices have gone out. The airlines have planned. We need to get this in place as soon as possible. Uh, we are continuing to press Congress to get back to the table. And Mitch McConnell has said that the Senate can come back in 24 hours notice. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is on the Hill today, speaking with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows about this. Um, there is action going on on the Hill, and there's no reason that any of us should believe this can't get done. And it has to get done because you said, what plan B? What, what if we don't get this, this funding? Well, as a union, we have to look out for all of our members. And as an example, after 9-11, we, one of the things that we did was we advocated for an extension of unemployment benefit. Well, that is tied up in this relief package, too. So everything that we would be doing in a plan B to try to support people in a worst case scenario is tied up in inaction. And that's just not sustainable. You take that out even beyond the airline industry and you can apply it to every other American. So it's not an option for us. We actually have a March on Washington plan for September 9th. We are having pop-up events at congressional offices right now everywhere saying relief now. And I know from being here in D.C. that we are right on the cusp of getting a deal. We just need the American public to demand it. And the fact of the matter is that when you say that Congress doesn't do their job, you're letting them off the hook. And we can't do that. 
because all they have to do is get together and talk about getting that deal done and it can get done. They can vote on it and it can be in place. That's what we're going to keep pushing for because plan B is not really a plan at all. It's a whole lot of suffering and a much higher bill for recovery for the entire nation. You know, if we go back only seven months ago, I was one of the one of those people. It will not come as any surprise to you that that took my travel for granted. Uh, you know, I thought nothing of getting on on a, in a car, going to the airport, getting on a plane, and going just about anywhere I wanted to go with relatively seamless connectivity. Those days may be over. Those days could be over, and I know right now with people sitting at home that they are just waiting to travel. They're talking about that. They're they're think, keeping that in their sights to help them get through these crazy days of coronavirus. Everybody's talking online about when I get out of here, I'm going to Thailand, I'm going to London, I'm going to Paris, and um, they're not going to be able to if we don't get this right. And so that's what we're fighting for here, too, is we're fighting for right now, but we're also fighting for the kind of future that we're going to have. Okay, we know what Congress needs to do, but in your opinion, what do the airlines need to do? Well, the airlines need to work with us. And I am happy to say that our industry is entirely united. You know, the extension of this payroll support program was a proposal that was put forward by the airline unions. And we're 80 percent organized in the airline industry. So that's a lot of unions and a lot of workers standing together. And I think that's why we're successful in getting it in the place in the first place and why we can be successful now. And I do want to just let you know and your listeners know that we have full bipartisan support. If our payroll extension program went to the floor of the Congress right now, it would be a veto-proof vote, but there's no vehicle without a larger relief bill. We've had 16 Republican senators sign a letter and additional senators weighing in with Mitch McConnell. We have all 47 Democratic senators added to that, and we have an overwhelming bipartisan support letter from the House. So this issue is not an issue of disagreement. We just need to get it done. And um, so people can actually um, take part in that and help to encourage Congress to get to a deal and get this done. And if you want tools to do that, you can certainly visit our website at afacwa.org, and it's all right there. Any member of the public can participate. So we, we just really have to work together and understand, just like you do when you come to the door of the airplane, that we're all in this together to get from point A to point B safely. And everybody has to play by the rules to do that. And until that happens, they, so, they still better all wear their masks, correct? They better all wear their masks. They better all wear their masks for all of our safety, just like you can't smoke on a plane because you're putting everyone's safety and health in jeopardy. If you don't wear a mask, you're doing the same thing but also because we have to take certain safety precautions so that people have the confidence to buy airplane tickets again and get back up in the air. You're right. Sarah, give us that website again. AFACWA.org. My thanks to Sarah. Obviously a very fluid situation and a story we're going to stay on top of. Next up, travel and hospitality icon, Jerry Anzarillo. Uh, my next guest is a legend in the hospitality and travel industry. I've known him... A few, just a few decades, um, and the last time we spoke, actually, we were in Saudi Arabia, where he is based, and we did we did a show there. Uh, but today, things have changed so dramatically because of COVID nineteen on a global level, and when when stuff happens, it changes or transforms the travel industry. Uh, one of my go to guys is our next guest, Jerry Anzarello. Jerry, welcome from Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Thank you so much, Peter. Really. Great to be with you again, and warmest regards to uh, all of your many listeners all over the world. 
Jerry, from your perspective, because you bring into this job that you're doing now in, in Saudi Arabia uh, with really restoring a, an amazing community uh, and, and a historic site, but your history as a hotelier and a, and, and, and a travel visionary, when you take a look at uh, what's going on it, just with hotels alone, uh, where you had a foreclosure rate of maybe 1.9% uh, in, in, in the world uh, just seven months ago, and now the number of hotel owners who have not made their debt service or payments is, is somewhat hovering around 23%. That's a staggering number. Yeah, and, you know, um, you and I come from that school of diehard optimists. And, um, you know, when you've been involved in the industry as long as we have, you know, we've always weathered the storm, so to speak. We've been through diseases. We've been through hurricanes and floods and political coups. And travel has always sustained itself. It's always not only improved, it, 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 it multiplied because of a basic human element of a need to share, a need to have a community, a need to see, a, a need to understand new cultures. So concept of experiencing and sharing defines humanity more than anything. Well, that's true. It's human nature. But what happens now with this COVID is something that none of us have ever seen. So when the COVID started uh, really getting widespread, really widespread in March, uh, many of us who've been around a long time said, look, we better treat this very seriously. This is, this is factors that none of us know. This could shut down air and shut down crews and shut down restaurants. Uh, this, this could shut down people traveling. This is big. So, so we prepared. Then when we started seeing the fallout, which was unprecedented, um, many of us said, look, we'll weather the storm. We have to remain optimistic and everything will be fine. And the industry needed that optimism. It needed its leaders to say, everything's going to be all right. But then uh, the sobriety of understanding the depth of these problems hit. And now people come to people like us who have weathered many storms, weathered many, many different difficulties, and we always came back stronger and said, what now? What happens next? And one has to be realistic. One has to know that this recovery is not going to be three months, six months. Now, you vividly remember, you know, when you have plane crashes or you had uh, terrorist attacks, you know, it can shut a tourism economy in a country down for 90 days, six months. But rarely have we seen events that shut the global tourism economy, you know, almost the 10.7% of global GDP, one out of 10 jobs in the world for 18 months. But my view is that it's going to be at least that 18 months. And that's why governments now have got to take a more aggressive position to support the private sector in stimulating uh, travel and tourism. And that's only going to happen when there is a widespread um, acceptable and safe vaccine. 
So I think it's going to be, regrettably, and I say this with a heavy heart, I think it's going to be a very bumpy, um, certainly the, you know, the four months of uh, 2020 and all of uh, 2021 before we see any kind of recovery. Well, you know, that's pending it on the on the vaccine. But let me suggest something else, Jerry, and that is, you know, I, I've said this before. I, I'll say it again. You know, what's the overriding lesson of the movie Saving Private Ryan? Not a good idea to be in the first wave. So even if we get a vaccine, at least one third of the people will probably not trust it or one third will want to wait to see what the first third did. Um, and then the other third probably believes it's a conspiracy. Uh, for me, I think the real answer in the short term is coming up with widespread, rapid response, reliable testing where you're going to get a result within 30 to 45 seconds so that you can apply that test to every uh, touch point of the travel experience. People will get used to that. They'll, their confidence will grow. We'll know instantaneously if somebody's testing positive. And, and we, can, we can move forward because if, if you say we're just, we have to wait for a vaccine, and I listen, nobody would like a vaccine more than I do, but you and I both know to get a scalable vaccine and then get people to actually use it and do, go through rapid-fire clinical tests is not going to happen overnight. So if we yeah, can get I, that I, widespread... Look, I, agree yeah. with, I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm saying that in order to get massive numbers... You know, in order to get real widespread numbers, um, it's going to require um, something dramatic. And, and the only thing that I can see right now, besides stimulation and new trends, new trends that are evolving, and there's, you know, very substantial new trends that we already see, and we can talk about some of those trends, um, let's use the word you know, impressive trends uh, in the short term, meaning what happens three, six, nine months. But you're right. You, you know, you, you are going to get those people, the one-third, one-third, one-third. But in order to get back to the numbers that we have, um, it's going to take a lot because, you see, here's the thing. If you, if you have a great tragedy, uh, people are resilient. And they don't have really great memories about things, right? Human nature takes over. So if you have one attack, people will wait. They'll, they'll, they'll get cautious. And they'll see if there's another one. And if there isn't, everything kind of bounces back to where it was within 30 days, okay? Now, if you, if, if you get multiple problems uh, in a country... Well, you're going to have a real problem because, you know, you, you think about, uh, you know, violence and terrorism. And there's many countries that had amazing tourism. But because of social unrest or terrorism, you know, the numbers plummeted. Look at countries like, um, you know, I'm not picking on anybody, but if you look at Egypt and, you know, certain countries, even Turkey, you know, the, you know, there was more than one incident, and it, it depressed travel. Now, when you look at economic downsides, like um, the recession and the big economic crisis of 2008, well, it didn't affect the wealthy. The wealthy always traveled. The rich always traveled. But, boy, it took it took a, a year to get back to numbers. But what was very interesting following 2008, even though it had global impact, that economic meltdown, is that, as you know, 
in the decade following, from 2009 to 2019, uh, tourism travel globally was unprecedented in terms of its benchmarking numbers. So I agree with you. And I think there are measures that could be done now. And a lot of people, the private sector in particular, uh, with support of government, are doing that. Now, I'll give you, an, uh, I'll give you something. You know this. And, uh, you know, God willing, you'll be with us. But um, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, as you know, is the host, is the secretary for the G20 uh, this year in 2020. Probably one of the most historic years when people look back 50 years from now. No one's going to forget 2020 because of this uh, COVID-19. Now, we have been the secretariat. So on October 6th and 7th, um, for the first time in the history of the Gs, the G20, the G8, the G7, um, His Majesty the King, King Salman, and the Crown Prince, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, it's the first time that they've put on the slate of the agenda for the G20, what we call T20. His Excellency Akhbar al-Khatib, who is the Saudi Minister of Tourism, who you've, you've met and who you've interviewed, uh, one of your biggest big fans like me, he um, will be convening um, the first ever conference. He's, he's done it virtually before during the year, but it's the first time that organized tourism ministers are coming together with the intention of the stimulation of global tourism, uh, a, a global tourism strategy. And this will be done in conjunction with the World Travel and Tourism Council, WTTC, with the United Nations uh, World Travel Organization. So this is very, very significant because now government as an entity, the biggest governments, the biggest, it's not just the G20, but they, they will lead and organize you know, the top 50 countries of, of uh, tour, tourism and travel uh, to put together comprehensive ways to support airlines, support cruise ships, hotel, restaurants, uh, workers, travel agencies, in which to put together initiatives to support the private sector and to conduct government spending um, to stimulate employment and to get people the confidence to travel back again. And then that will lead to a ratification of all those policies on November uh, 20th and 21st when the kingdom hosts uh, the actual heads of state in the G. Now, we have to see what happens in the fall. Um, one doesn't know if there's going to be an yet another wave. Uh, the crown prince and his majesty have the kingdom uh, in full preparation. We're ready. We've been working for two years to host the G20. We're ready if we have to do it in person. We're ready. If it has to be done virtually, it'll be done virtually. But this trend of taking the leadership and, and getting all of the nations of the world, especially the top uh, travel countries, together in an organized fashion is unprecedented because it's never happened before. And that is a very big step. And, of course, it's all predicated on airlift as well. Uh, right now, as we're speaking to Jerry Anzarillo, your airspace really isn't open in Saudi Arabia, is it? Yes, it's still it's still closed. The, His Majesty the King and the Crown Prince um, thought this pandemic was going to be uh, quite severe. Um, the kingdom went on alert. You know, there was there, there's been a number of countries that waited, didn't understand really what the pandemic was going to be. 
but not so in the kingdom. And then um, His Majesty went on national television in Saudi Arabia, and with unbelievable empathy, which was, I don't know, I don't know any other country that did it, but, but the first country that did it was the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, where the king went on national television and said, whether you are a Saudi national, a Saudi citizen or not, whether you're here legally or not, this is a human problem. This is a human um, crisis. So the kingdom will pay for all of your COVID-19 testing. And if you come forward and you're sick, we don't want you and your families to be troubled by it. The kingdom will pay for all of the medical expenses associated with with twenty, you know, with COVID nineteen. Well, that meant everybody could come forward without any fear, any, you know, not being ostracized. And and then the, the, His Majesty spent a lot of money working with different governments to do uh, testing and tracing. Uh, the kingdom has been one of the best in the world on that. So, you know, we have high numbers of testing. Over 10 million people now tested, which is over one-third of the population and growing. Huge testing all day long. Anyone who needs a test can get it free. And then everybody has hospitalization. And thank God, uh, we have been able to keep the fatalities down. Now, w- when you're over 3,000 fatalities, it's still 3,000 people dead. But yeah. when you think about the size of Saudi Arabia relative to other Middle Eastern countries, uh, we've, we've played it. The bottom line is that we've played it very empathetically. Uh, we've managed it very empathetically, but very cautiously. And only now are conversations happening uh, with government to open up the airspace, and I'm sure that that will happen um, soon. Well, Jerry, I'm looking forward uh, to getting back out there in October for that meeting with the tourism uh, ministers. And, of course, we'll be broadcasting the show from there if the airspace is open. And even if the airspace is closed, we'll do it virtually. Either way, uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Jerry Anzarillo, of course, the chief executive officer at Dorea Gate Development Authority, and my go-to guy for all things travel on a global level. My thanks to Jerry Anzarillo and to Sarah Nelson. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel Podcast. For more interviews with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to listen, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for continuous news updates on the world of travel, just visit petergreenberg.com. One, two... Three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. John Stewart here. Unbelievably exciting news. My new podcast, 
The Weekly Show. We're going to be talking about the uh, election, economics, ingredient to bread ratio on sandwiches. Listen to The Weekly Show with John Stewart wherever you get your podcasts.